been doing some reflecting the last week, two weeks, however long it's been. And uh, I thought of that quote, came across that quote by uh, Brother Merle Ruth. And uh, wasn't sure if he was still alive or not. Anybody know? I think he's still living as far as I know. Don't know? Minister Donors. He was actually one of my Bible instructors at Bible school. Taught the book of Galatians and was way above my head at 17 years old. And uh, I'd like to go back and redo that that class if I could. But uh, if I calculated right, I looked him up in my 2015 yearbook and he's still listed there as, as being alive. So uh, if I calculated right, he'd be 89 years old. And depending on when his birthday is in 2017, he could be close to 90. I think he was born in 1927, according to that information. But I like that quote. I think it's good an assessment. Uh, you know, there's a man that's 89 years old, been a minister for, I forget what his, ordin- I believe his ordination year was the year I was born, maybe, or even, maybe it was 55, maybe even a couple years before that. But he's made that assessment that uh, the best that science can do is add years to a man's life, but only God can add life to a man's year. Years, I guess that should be. And uh, so I was thinking about that. I, I don't know what you think about when you think of life. Life is precious. Life is, uh, generally we, we enjoy life, and I hope that's your attitude today, that you're enjoying life. There are, life has difficulties. Life sends us some confusing circumstances sometimes that we're not sure how to respond as I was reflecting over the Merrill's quote there, I also thought of another man, and that's probably what got my mind thinking about uh, reflecting back over the years. Uh, Lois and I are invited to an old business acquaintance, 90th birthday party. So there again, 90 years old. And uh, I still remember the first time I, I met this man. And uh, at that time he was part owner of, of Northland Farm Systems from Alatana, Minnesota. Maybe you are, many of you are familiar with that organization, business perhaps, do business with them too. But we were, my father-in-law and I were there at the farm where we live, and we had just, I don't even know if we had moved yet. I'm not certain what exactly of the, the timing of that. But Dell pulled in there with his pickup and his trailer and introduced himself and uh, wanted to meet us. And uh, we sat chatting. At that time, he was a member of the uh, Assembly of God Church in Rochester, a professing Christian, as far as I know he still is today. I don't know if he's a member of the Assembly of God Church, but uh, as far as I know he's still a professing Christian. And as we were visiting that day, 30, over 38 years ago, or, or more perhaps, and uh, he made the comment to my father-in-law, he was sitting there talking, he nodded toward the one silo, and he said, you know, he said, I never got paid for that, some of that stuff on that silo, the upgrades that I did, the man before us that went bad financially, and so there was some, he had some investment in that, in my, or my father-in-law at that time owned the farm, and so it was, he had some in, investment in his property there, and my father-in-law being the, the gentleman that he was and the Christian that he was, I don't even remember the exact words, I think he made the comment, he said, well, would you like us to pay for it, or do you want to come and reclaim those, what was done, I think it was some things that were added on the silo. And uh, Dal sitting there in his trailer, he just uh, kind of in a didn't muse long, but in, in a very nonchalant way, uh, nodded toward the silo. No, he said, he said, we'll get it back. He said, we'll get it back. And uh, so there he was. He was a man that uh, 
had been taken advantage of. He had lost, I don't know how much, how exactly what all was done, but uh, he had lost some money in that business transaction with the former owner of the farm there where we lived. But he wasn't bitter about it. He wasn't letting it take him down. He was a good businessman. And he said, uh, uh, I'll get it back. And uh, 38 years later, I'm still a customer of Northland Farm. And over those 38 years, he's, they've probably gotten a little bit of change from me. Oh, probably a little more than a little change, some of my profit. And uh, so I've always been challenged. I've never forgot about that man's attitude and uh, the way he, uh, you know, he could have perhaps said, well, you know, it would be nice to have at least my, my costs covered. That would have been approaching. We probably would have did it. At least my father-in-law would have did it. Maybe I would have went along a little grudgingly, a young farmer starting out. But, uh, you know, it was a lesson to me. Uh, it challenged me. Uh, but, you know, that's his, that was his perspective in life. That was Dell's perspective in life. His name is Dell Hurt. And uh, he realized that, you know, it, isn't, it doesn't all happen today. Life is, is, is over a period of time. And uh, he realized that here's a potential customer that uh, was worth investing in. Uh, irregardless of how he had been treated in the past by the previous owner, he was willing to invest in our lives. This morning I'd like to invite you to think about life. And uh, if you want to put your... View life from heaven's perspective. Put your heavenly biblical prescription glasses on and view life from heaven's perspective. And that's a challenge to me as I think about viewing life from heaven's perspective. I'd like to have about five different texts picked out here this morning. I, I can't spend real long on any one of them, but they are what the Bible tells us, I believe, gives us a perspective of of. What, how we should view life. Turn for the first one to Genesis chapter 2. Going back to the beginning of time. And uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Man became a living soul. Now the, the Hebrew word formed there. Uh, commentators tell us, has the idea of what a potter would have uh, used to describe a potter working on a clay vessel. God as the potter, you and me as the clay. And we talk about that. And it's in the scripture it mentions that as God being the potter and we as the clay. As, as God shapes a vessel. God is our creator and we are accountable to him. And I, we mentioned that in the Sunday school class this morning. The idea of accountability for what we know about God. For what God has done for us. Uh, it mentions there that in, back in chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We are created in his image. But in the verse that I read there in chapter 2, verse 7, we're not only created in the image of God, but then we also have the breath of God within us as well. We became a living soul is what it's described as. We are then his servants, stewards of the earth, and stewards over the animal kingdom. Matthew Henry commentary says that... Uh, the animals, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, it says the animals were made, but God formed man. So God definitely put more thought into you and me this morning 
as, as, as we are created beings in God's image. The animals were made and were fascinated by, their, by many of their instincts, many of their characteristics. We're fascinated by them, but yet they're not to the level of you and me as human beings. Uh, God made the animals, but you and me as human beings, he formed us. God's breath gives our souls eternal existence. Do I understand my purpose in life this morning? Do I understand what God intends for me? You know, I don't know exactly what the exact population of the world is today. Is it, some, is it 7 billion? A little over 7 billion? I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, to realize that I'm just not one, or you're not just one of 7 billion people, to me that's a, that's a challenging thought as you think of God forming each one of us. Knowing, the psalmist talks about that, as far as he has created each one of us in a unique way for a unique purpose. And uh, I, you this morning, are not just one of seven billion people. God knows each one of us personally. God knows each one of us individually. And he has shaped us and created, and mo- and, yes, and created us and formed us with a distinct purpose in mind to honor and glorify him in our uh, unique personalities, I guess you'd say, and what potential we can have if we, we surrender those personalities to the will of God. God created you and me as potter, and, and you and me are as the clay in His hand. So I was challenged as I think of life from that perspective. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about what God's purposes are for my life. And uh, you think about that in your relationship with Him. God has placed you where you are today for a distinct plan and purpose. And it's important that we understand what that purpose is. Uh, each day, one day at a time, as God gives us those days, that we, uh, we understand what God wants us to do. When's the last time you asked God when you got up in the morning, well, God, what is it that you want me to do today? What are the things that you want me to understand? I am your servant. You're the creator. What do you want me to do? God, I believe, is pleased when we honor him with those requests. Can God handle 7 billion people? Now, not everyone is serving God, but could God handle 7 billion requests? I think he could. God is infinite. God is omniscient. God is all-powerful. He can handle, if the whole world would turn to him, he could handle 7 billion daily requests of, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What would that world be like? Well, we don't, uh, we don't necessarily expect that to happen because we know the nature of mankind and we know that man is bent away from God. But yet, God is, is capable of, of those type of tasks. The second one is found in, in the New Testament as I think of the perspective of life. Remember, we're looking at, at life from heaven's perspective. God breathed into us the breath of life. We are created in his image. And then God breathed into us the breath of life. James chapter 4, verse 14. The perspective I want to ask you this morning is, for what is your life? What is your life? James 4, 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What is your life? 
I'm one of the older ones here this morning, and I can tell you that life is short. Whether you believe it or not, that's up to you. But don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. That's written here in the book of James, inspired by God. God says life is short. Take God's word for it. He describes it as, as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Really, it's important that we take God's word in everything. We really only have moments and then they are gone and we are left with simply the memories. It tells us here in these verses uh, that it's also uncertain. You know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. Our, our, uh, we're not finite like God. We don't know. We can speculate what's going to happen tomorrow. I think tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and milk my cows like I routinely do. But there's no guarantee of that. Uh, I assume the sun's going to come up. But there's no guarantee of that. God has promised us, as long as the earth stands, that will happen. But we don't know the time of the Lord's return. So life is uncertain. We can't count on tomorrow, but we can count on eternity. We cannot count on tomorrow, but we will be able to count on eternity. Eternity is an absolute. We need to live each day to its fullest. I'd like to read some of the verses around this. Verse 13, Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, above all else, it says, it mentions the idea of gain. Buy, sell, and get gain. But above that, beyond the gaining aspect, and this is maybe where Dell realized it, I believe he realized it was important to do the Lord's will, as we see it there in verse 15. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this. Now, I don't think it's wrong for us to, to make a profit or to gain, but you know, if, if that's our motivation, if that's our single goal, if selfishness is behind that gain, then we've missed the point. The idea is that I believe in verse 15 that we ought to do it for the Lord's honor, for the Lord's glory, and for the Lord's will. And it also mentions in verse 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good. I believe we ought to put an emphasis on doing what is good. Is that my life? Do I do good? Am I known for doing good? You know, I, I talked about life holding the memories of life and I like to just uh, we sing that song sometimes we have this moment hold tight to the sound of music of living happy song from the laughter of children at play hold my hand as we run through the sweet fragrant meadows making memories of what was today tender words gentle touch and a good cup of coffee and someone who loves me and wants me to stay hold them near while they're here and don't wait for tomorrow to look back and wish for today take the blue of the sky and the green of the forest and the gold and the brown of the freshly mown hay, and the path shades of spring and the circuits of autumn, and we view a lovely today. We have this moment to hold in our hands and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday's gone, tomorrow may never come, but we have this moment today. Appreciate that, those verses.
certainly we need to treasure the moments that God has given to us and uh, realize that they are a gift from God and live each day to its fullest, doing His will. Have an understanding of what His will is for my life and doing that which is good. The third one that I want to draw your attention to is found in the book of John, chapter 10. That John 10, verse 10. You probably already know what that verse is. It talks about Jesus there. John 10, 10. Thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That was Jesus speaking there. He said he came that we might have life more abundantly. The NIV uses the idea and says that we might have it to its fullest. Uh, sometimes we talk about, we use an expression, living on the edge. Uh, and it's a term that we hear sometimes. of somebody that's maximizing their life and they're living on the edge of life. They're experiencing it all. And uh, sometimes youth, I think, are attracted by that. And maybe older people too, I don't know. Uh, I tend to be a little more, uh, well, I don't know. I like things <laughs> a little more uh, settled down, I guess. I believe it speaks what God, what Jesus was talking about here. I believe it speaks of the gift of eternal life. I believe that's part of it. It speaks of the, of the eternal life that we can have through him. But I, I believe it also refers to the life that we live in Christ now, today. And uh, I'd like to turn to Ephesians as I, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, um, verses uh, 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, as I thought about what our life should be like today, in Christ. For this cause I bow, my, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. That's what I want to experience. I want to be strengthened in might by the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all Saints, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height? And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I like those verses there. You know, 3D is often referred to as being lifelike. But I don't know if you noticed that, and that's always attracted me. In verse 18 there, it gives four dimensions. It talks about the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. So if 3D is lifelike, what is 4D like? Four dimensions like. Three-dimensional is lifelike. Four-dimensional, what's that like? Well, it's a, it's a life that's beyond life, I believe. And that's what we experience in Christ. There's a dimension in our life, in our Christianity, as we know Christ, that takes us beyond the normal person. Are you living a 4D life? 4D, I like to suggest, is God-like. Is my life four-dimensional? Do I exhibit that type of a, a life? 
going back to uh, John 10 again. I had a reference here, verse 63, but there are not 63 verses in John 10, so I'm not sure where I... Uh, let me see if I can... Well, anyway. Um, the four-dimensional life, continuing on with that thought, uh, the four-dimensional life is, as I think of of being godlike, four-dimensional, being godlike. I thought of the verses in Galatians, where it talks, Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it talked about being filled with God's Spirit. Verse 22 of Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of being glory-provoking one another and envying one another. That's describing, I believe, a four-dimensional life when we are controlled by God's Spirit, the indwelling presence of God's Spirit within my life. There are but two pathways to, on the journey of through life, the broad way and the narrow way, and uh, we need to ascertain which way we're walking. Who am I following? Remember also others will follow me. Others will follow you. Jesus or the John talks about a uh, Jesus talks about a paradox here in John twelve, just a little bit further on. And we'll get to that. The second, the fourth one that I want is in John chapter six. And this was Peter's actually expression, John six verses. Okay, there's my verse. There's my verse sixty-three. I jumped across the line, solved that mystery. John six verse sixty-eight, and uh, this these are Peter Simon Peter's words, the spokesman that he was for the twelve disciples. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And uh, there I wanted to back up to verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And uh, these words this morning are the words of Christ, the inspired word of God. And they can profit, they can inspire us. They are the words of life that Peter was talking about. I like Peter's expression as there he said, what other options do we have? And you know what? It's the same today. What other options do we have? We really have no other options. He said, you, in, uh, in John 6, verse 68, he said, or 63, or, yes, 68, he said, you have the words of life. And uh, he was determined to cling to those words of life. Going uh, to John chapter 12, The paradox I wanted to talk about here is uh, mentioned. John 12, verses uh, 24 through 26. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now notice verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And I want to stop reading there. Uh, he that loveth his life shall lose it. Can I, do I love my life? Do you love your life? Can I do this? Can I, as it's described here, am I willing to sacrifice my life? It mentions the idea of uh, except a corn of wheat uh, fall into the ground and die and abideth alone, but then it will bring forth much fruit. And that's what God wants from our life. God wants much fruit from us. And, uh, but that can only happen as we are willing to die. Uh, we treasure life. We like to cling to life so dearly and so tightly. And selfishly, we, we want to hold what is ours. But yet we need to let it go. How can we do this? Well, God is looking for us to follow His example and uh, surrender and give it all to Him. He showed us how to do it as He gave His life on the cross of Calvary. We need to die to self we can then bear much fruit for him by following him. Going back in uh, the book of John here just a little further is my uh, fifth perspective that I want to show you. And that's the, uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. John 6 verses 47 uh, through 58 I thought this was interesting in the fact that we had just observed communion. John 6, verse 47, breaking in reading there. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Notice all the... Uh, lives and, and eternal life in that expression there. What is, what is actually meant by this? This was confusing to uh, the crowd of the day when Jesus came off with this idea. And uh, Now we observed communion last Sunday and we realized that that's a re memorial. We, we look back. We, and Dwight asked us, one of the questions Dwight asked us is, you know, how will I feel after this communion service? And you've had one thought, one week to think about that thought. 
How do you feel? Well, did you realize that it was this important? Partaking of those emblems uh, are, are uh, connected to eternal life. He that drinketh my blood and hath he that whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Is it that? Did you realize that it was that important? Uh, now we don't we don't believe in transubstantiation that this bread and juice that we observed in the communion service last Sunday actually uh, some would think that it actually translates into the actual body of Christ. It's just a an emblem. And uh, I was I was encouraged as I, I thought about the observance of communion and some of the symbolism that is included in that uh, in that service. Um, you know, I don't. I think you can partake of those emblems, and it it really has no impact on your life. You can partake of those emblems, and it can be a, a growing experience in your life. It can be a positive experience, and ideally, that's what it should be. And and as I thought about that, as I thought about Dwight's question from last Sunday, as I thought about life, how is it impacting my Christian life and my walk with the Lord? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it, it needs it. As I partook of that bread, it has. I need to have an appetite for Christ. I need to have an appetite for the spiritual things of God. Uh, we partook of that bread. We ate it. Uh, also, I believe an application of the things of Christ to ourselves. You can look at. We could have just sat it up here and walked by and looked at it and said, "Well, yeah, that's the broken body of Christ." There, it's symbolic. But you know, we we, we took portions of that loaf of bread and we, we took it along back to our seats and, uh, and then we ingested it, we took it in and that's the way we need to experience Christ he needs to become a part of our of us uh, he needs to work through our lives and uh, you know unless we partake of the food, we can look at all the food we want but we need to eat it, we need to ingest it, it's going to make us grow and uh, that's the way it happens in the spiritual life. We need to take this, you know, there's different prophets talk about eating the Word of God and, uh, you know, becoming part of our, our being. So we need to have an appetite. We need, to, uh, we need to ingest it. We need to take it in. And uh, then thirdly, it's an acknowledgement of our embracing our union with Christ. As we partook of those emblems, uh, the cup and the bread, it's uh, it's a it's an it's an acknowledgement of our embracing our union with Christ and also with the communion of those of like precious faith within the body of believers. And uh, John 17 verse 3 is another verse I wanted to mention. It says, "And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent." Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus in his high priestly prayer. He said he realizes that we need to know him. How well do I know Christ this morning? And back in the golden text of the scripture there in John 3, 15 and 16, we need to believe in him. Do I believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 15, for another perspective. Luke 12, verse 15, 
And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. That was in our Sunday school lesson too, wasn't it? Covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. I'd like to read the verses around that, backing up to verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Now Jesus knows, Jesus knew men's hearts. And uh, I believe in, in, in on the surface it might look like Jesus was a bit uh, noncommittal. Uh, maybe a bit uh, uh, rude to the man who had the request, but Jesus knew this man's heart. And he replied as he did. But verse 16, and he spake a parable. So to help us to understand why he said what he did, he's, he gives us this parable here in verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Does sound like the Sunday school lesson? It does, doesn't it? Somewhat. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that hath, so he so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, can take, and which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cupid? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye, doubt, be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell it ye have, and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'll stop reading there. In the abundance of things, that's the culture, that's the society in which we live today. It tells us in verse 15 that we need to beware of covetousness. That which rightfully does not belong to us. That's covetousness. That which rightfully does not belong to us. Jesus here is telling this man, he says, be careful of covetousness. And I believe that message comes to us today. I, I don't know if you, I tried to emphasize all the personal pronouns in that parable that Jesus gave, the eyes and the mys. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, just, it just overflows with selfishness in that, in that parable of that man that his land had prospered. Uh, well, you know, if things don't satisfy, as Jesus says here, 
For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things. If things don't satisfy, what does satisfy? You know, the satisfaction of things are very, very, very fleeting at best. You know, they're outdated. They're broken. They're spent. They're gone. Do I realize that? Verse 21, I believe, tells us that self will rob us poor. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. He's not rich toward God. Selfishness will rob you poor. Selfishness will cheat you. And uh, rather, in verse 31, he says we need to seek God's kingdom. And the question is, where is my heart? My heart is where my treasure is this morning. Your heart is where your treasure is. Look where your treasure is and your heart will be there. And that's a question as we look at life's perspective. Man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things. And uh, can I view life in that perspective this morning? And uh, may God help us to keep life in its proper focus as we journey through life to the destiny of our Maker, which is our goal. I'd like to conclude this morning with a poem by John Henry Newman, Life's Lessons. I learn as the years roll on and I and leave the past behind that much I had counted sorrow, but proves that God is kind. That many a flower I had longed for had hidden a thorn of pain, and many a rugged bypath had led to fields of ripened grain. The clouds that cover the sunshine, they cannot banish the sun, and the earth shines out the brighter when the weary rain is done. We must stand in the deepest shadow to see the clearest light, and often through wrong's own darkness comes the very strength of light. The sweetest rest is at eve, after a long and wearisome day, when the heavy burden of labor has borne from our hearts away. And those who have never known sorrow cannot know the infinite peace that falls on the troubled spirit, that falls on the troubled spirit when it sees at last release. We must live through the dreary winter if we would value the spring, and the woods and the woods must be cold and silent before the robins sing, and the flowers must be buried in darkness before they can bud and bloom, and the sweetest, warmest sunshine comes after the storm and the gloom. I thought that put life in perspective in a very artistic way.